This is Flipping Tables. Welcome to Flipping Tables. This is a podcast about technology, gaming, and culture. I'm one of your hosts, Mike Edwards. And I'm David Lyons. And we actually have an embarrassment of riches of topics to talk about today. Um, you broke I, something recently. I did broke something recently. <laughs> uh, so this is no one's fault but my own. I had yep. my, I, yeah, I had my phone in my – I wish I could blame other people. But I, I had my smartphone in my shirt pocket. And it was an, it's an Nexus 4. It was. It, it still is, but it's no longer <laughs> functional. So the thing to know about the Nexus 4 is much like the iPhone 4. Mm-hmm. Okay. It has the stupid and totally pointless glass back, which does nothing to improve the phone and actually makes it worse because it sits perfectly flat on a surface, making the rear speaker totally unusable. <laughs> so, so it decreases the functionality of the phone. It makes it more fragile and... I smashed it all over the concrete. And how how did this happen? Were you like saving someone's life and your phone was a casualty? I was. There was a <laughs> bus out of control about to hit an old-fashioned like English-style pram with an infant <laughs> in it. And the mother had fallen. Her heel broke. And I so had to, you weren't hopping and skipping I was across defi- the street? I was definitely <laughs> not hopping and skipping across the street because that would be ridiculous. <laughs> And my phone definitely did not fly out of my pocket <laughs> and shatter only the front piece of glass where the digitizer is, the important bits, yeah. leaving the back completely unscathed. That's the jelly side down situation. <laughs> it is. It was, yeah, it was to- totally buttered toast. Like, And the thing is, it didn't just fall like, because I mean, I'm not very tall. So if I'd been holding it in my hand, it would have fallen like, you know, three feet. But... It shot up out of my pocket at like the apex of diving <laughs> to save this baby. Right. <laughs> Not the hopping and skipping. <laughs> and just smashed down and slid like eight <laughs> feet out in front of me. Oh, God. It was painful to watch. And it normally that would be the kind of thing that would just reduce me to fits of um, inappropriate for podcasting language. <laughs> but I was just so dumbstruck by my – stupidity of trying to save this baby over bothering to take care of my smartphone that see the analogy just can or the the lie just totally fell apart at that sentence yep they did <laughs> but yeah it just so it was destroyed good news is i survived the weekend somehow and uh a new one is in the mail so nice good. so i'm gonna share in the show notes a, a portlandia skit i don't know if you've seen it where uh Carrie, the female main character. I don't know. They're like different characters in every sketch, even though they look the same. I yeah, think. it's it's the same actor and actress, but they do different yeah. characters in each. Well, anyway, skit. she she's like leaving Whole Foods or something, and like drops her iPhone, and like as it falls, she her whole life flashes before <laughs> her eyes. And then there's a, a twist ending on what happens when the phone hits the ground. But <laughs> it's funny and watch it. So he, here is the actual thing. So I mean, obviously, I, I like my phone. I'm a connected person. All that blah, whatever. But I have a tablet. I have a laptop. The world didn't just come crashing to an end. There was a genuine problem not having it. One, text messages still only go to your phone. <sighs> we need to get I, out of this yeah, era. Yes, we do. <laughs> 
Um, and phone calls, obviously, only go to your phone. I used to use Google Voice, but I stopped because their whole picture messaging. <laughs> I gate. still do. I used to, too. I, I should use I, – I need to switch back because anyone who's sending me pictures via text message needs to just stop. It's <laughs> really not the most efficient way to do that. Um, and then the other thing – and this didn't occur to me until like most of the way through the, my time of being smartphone list. But I use two-factor auth for like a lot of stuff, like wherever yeah. I can. <laughs> you and, just lost your second fact. <laughs> yep. So with Google, there are – like security passwords and I have them stored away in a safe place. So I, I wasn't completely boned. I was like a little boned. <laughs> there, there are a couple services that I don't know of their like workaround. So like for, you didn't have backup codes for them and there's, yeah. So you just have to get your phone back. <laughs> yep. So <clears throat> I don't know what you do in those instances. I guess you're just boned. Yeah. It seems like eventually what what is the answer to that? Where you you tie your second factor to something very replaceable? Well, I mean, phones are very replaceable, but yeah, I mean, my thinking is if you two factor auth should be set up in such a way that you either have the backup codes like Google has, yeah, or the company knows enough about you that you could do some kind of really long, convoluted, unpleasant. I swear to God, I'm really this person, yeah. Because I know the whole point of two-factor auth is something you know and something you have, but unless they pl- supply or something secu- you are, yes, <laughs> really, yeah, that's another option for like a fingerprint. A sec- yeah, okay. That I always I would have just thought of that as something I have. <laughs> I I am my thumbprints. <laughs> <laughs> well, just the biotech stuff, right? Yeah. So th- there needs to be something besides a smashable glass covered smartphone <laughs> yeah so thumbprint would work i guess i just look forward to no longer having any long passwords and just having a short thing i can change whenever i want and then the second factor right yeah well that's what i think we might have talked about this once is that thumbprints are good for usernames because you can't change them <laughs> yeah so it's like my thumbprint is me confirming that i am the owner of my thumbprint but to make it my password is bad because passwords should be changeable yeah so that's yeah but that, so yeah that was interesting because i i was like unhappy that i had to spend the money obviously but i was like i can get by without a cell phone it'll just be an inconvenience and then was, my wife was like oh you can use my phone to i had to drive somewhere i didn't know how to get to so she was like you can just log in on my phone and i was like actually i can't <laughs> well kind of but not sort of <laughs> it was like a big realization so fortunately, I didn't have to use any of those services over the weekend that I wasn't already logged into. You stepped into the dark ages. It was. But that being said, you should still use two-factor auth because the minor inconvenience was does not overshadow the months and months and months of peace of mind that I've had before this and I will have going forward. So tell me about... Good luck, man. <laughs> today's... The, it's the last day. I'm like... <laughs> I want to like take vacation and go home at noon <laughs> and check the mail, but I can't. I have meetings. Mm-hmm. So I think 
we've talked about Save You a Click before, but yeah, there was some particular so One of the sites we often link to in this podcast, I don't think that's because we have to or anything, but we just kind of end up doing it, is The Verge. Yeah, they write good stuff. We send them a lot, a lot of traffic um, oh, from oh, our oh, podcast. And they do write good stuff. Uh, they just happen to be really, really wrong recently. Really wrong. <laughs> and we have to call them out. <laughs> yeah. So if you're, I think, have we talked about Saved You a Click before? Well, anyway, there's a Twitter account called Saved You a Click. And so anytime BuzzFeed or Huffington Post or one of these sites has like, you won't believe what Mark Wahlberg did. It just, he just summarizes it and retweets them without the link. And as far as I know, this guy does not have a vendetta against BuzzFeed. He has a vendetta against BuzzFeed style headlines. Yeah. So, I mean, he goes after major news outlets just as much as the, you know, the goofy entertainment outlets. Yeah. TMZ, the whatever. (laughs) But yeah, the, the seven weird things or what everyone's doing wrong with their toothbrush. And I'll just be like, uh. Yeah, them. <laughs> well, anyway, he did this to a Verge article and then the Verge flipped their shit. Yep. And decided to write this big-ass editorial on how they think Saved You a Click isn't doing us any favors. And here's the phrase that just totally killed me was they said that Saved You a Click was stealing experiences. Stealing the experience. <laughs> you wouldn't steal. You wouldn't download an experience. But <laughs> yeah, they're they're trying. So they're, the article had to do with Sopranos, you know, a show that was done like seven years ago. And there was some new interview with the creator about whether or not Tony Soprano really died. And spoiler alert: Saved You Click was like, no. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and for anyone who's unfamiliar, again, it's a seven-year-old show, so get over it. The the end of the series, he's in the middle of a sentence. He's screaming at somebody, and it just like boom, cut to black credits. Series over. Yeah, like, and it's not like there's a. I don't think there's like a gun to the side of his head. He's not falling off of a building. Like, it, there's a lot of ambiguity about what happens. So, people were stressing out over this. Yeah, and. And the the writer of Sopranos was like saying over and over, I'm sick of this question. It's not important. What's important right. is all these other artistic y things. But just like he said no, and so <laughs> Saved Your Click's like, nope. <laughs> and so. Because it's always a one word answer. Nope. Yeah. But I don't get this, this uppity. Because uh, the problem I have with The Verge's article is they had a clickbait headline. It said, yes. Does Tony Soprano die at the end of Sopranos? Instead of interesting new interview with Head of Sopranos about the series, you know, like, right. like can you sell your article on its merits? Because, I mean, I, I read part of the article. It seems like a really great article. It's 5,000 words. Yeah. There's lots of good stuff in there. Why can't you sell it on its merits? Why does it have to be? Well, it's because clickbait works. That's yes. the reason. And, and that's the thing is I feel like the writers – and I mean, I'm not, I write – I I sell articles, but I'm not like a professional writer. That's not my main source of income. But I feel like if you want the perks of a clickbait article, you kind of need to be willing to suffer the, I don't know, like the pejorative criticism. Yeah, the criticism that goes with using clickbait articles, like or clickbait titles for your articles. It just they kind of are sort of crappy, like. It's annoying for one thing. And for another thing, the point of that article was not the answer to that question. It was a long, in-depth interview with the show creator. That was just one tiny part of this otherwise very long and, if you're a fan of the show, probably very interesting article. Yeah. So 
you know, you are a co-writer, you author are the one who copped out. Don't be pissed because they answered your question. But I feel like if you're The Verge, even if you they do seem to sincerely believe that Saved You a Click was a problem right. for the, their artistic work of amazingness, <laughs> that I, I just want to tell them, shame on you, you're wrong, but keep it to yourself if you're going to whine about an opt-in Twitter account that yeah. people choose to follow that actually probably drives traffic to you. It definitely does, because this was the amazing side effect that everyone saw coming. Yeah. Was the, the, And this actually, this could be a, a case of like a false flag. Like they did this big complaint to drive attention yeah. because they know that Save You a Click actually drives people to the articles. So... I wish their hissy fit wasn't rewarded. <laughs> right. I mean, that's, I'm presuming a lot, but it feels like someone may have put those pieces together. Well, they like, said like a few hours later, uh, their their new head, head editor, Nile Patel, was like, oh, yeah, this is our most popular article. Yeah. And, and Saved You a Click Complain article is also second best. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, like, great. Yeah. This is, this is the equivalent of on Reddit complaining about downvotes. Yeah. Like, stop it. <laughs> well, I think you made the, the comparison when, what, the sixth Harry Potter book came out? Someone got a billboard with the big reveal from that book. Yeah. Snape kills Dumbledore, and they, like, or they people you were, like, bastard. running around and shouting it. You know, oh, spoilers. <laughs> um, but that's not even the same. It's, well, but that's the thing, is Saved You a Click is not... It wasn't called Harry Potter and the Who the Fuck Killed Dumbledore. (laughs) You will never believe it. Right. (laughs) And also, there's a difference between I, as a consumer, seek out a service that does this for me and someone like running down the street in front of a bookstore where I'm waiting to buy a book and screaming the ending to the book. Yeah. Like, if I follow Saved You a Click, it's because I want my clicks saved. (laughs) Like, I don't. That was the other thing that kind of came out on Twitter was some of the Verge editors were like, it actually takes more clicks to find the original article. I'm like, the point is I don't go to the original article. Right. <laughs> and if it's something that tantalizing or if it's a subject that's that interesting to me, then I go ahead and read it. I can't imagine. If I'm a Soprano super fan and I read, oh, he didn't die, I still want to read that article. I'm going to be like, oh, what happened or right. what? Like, what's going on? And actually, it didn't occur to me until just now but this is actually the same kind of argument as the justification for pirating now i'm not trying to excuse pirating but there is a very powerful moral justification which is like x-men origins wolverine it's a really terrible movie my friend pirated it and i watched it with him i was not going to pay to see that movie (laughs) i wasn't going to i wasn't gonna rent it i wasn't gonna go to the theater they lost zero sales by me watching a pirated copy of that movie so legally i'm wrong like i watched (laughs) a stolen copy movie there's no question but you cannot make an argument that they lost any money on me because i was never ever going to give them my money for that movie yeah, that's the distinction I make, too, because they always like to publicize, like, we lost billions of dollars. And you're like, no, you didn't. Yeah, yeah nope. people were doing things that are illegal, no question. You didn't lose a billion dollars. Yes. <laughs> and 
I have seen pirated movies or used pirated software that did make me go. I'm like, holy crap, this I need this thing. Like these people need to stay in business. Shut up and take my money. So yeah. Save You a Click operates on the exact same principle. And I think that's Adobe's like dominance in creative software has been cemented by pirating. Oh and yeah. I think like even though publicly they have to be against pirating and introduce all these horrible things <laughs> in their installers. But secretly they're like, yeah, every like fifteen year old that just wants to try out photo editing is gonna try Photoshop by pirating it, and then when they have an income, they're gonna buy Photoshop. Yes. Well, and they know that Photoshop and InDesign and all that stuff, like no business can operate on pirated software because they'll get audited or something. Yeah, they'll be screwed. Yeah, and they'll like then all their clients are affected by their shady crap. So if a fifteen year old pirates Photoshop, the lost revenue to them is none because that kid was never going to buy Photoshop. It's just a future customer you're recruiting. Right. And then any business would have to actually pay for it. So it's it's a very weird like clash of the letter of the law and the spirit of the law because the letter of the law says you can't steal this thing because you're taking money out of their their coffers but the spirit of the law is like no stealing this thing actually almost guarantees you putting money into their yeah. coffers <laughs> like it's a really weird this is one of those things that's like I'm glad I don't have to make this decision because both ways have a really solid argument that being said you whined way too hard about this the verge yeah it's not not classy, Verge. And Get over it. Yeah, and the, we'll have a link. We won't save you a click. You can go ahead and read it. We'll have the link in the show notes. And it wouldn't be fair to talk about this without the massive Streisand effect. Yeah. <laughs> because all of the comments on this article are either, shut up, you guys are whiny. I'm going to go follow Saved You a Click now, or <laughs> shut up, you guys are whiny. I'm going to go follow <laughs> Saved You a Click now. Like, no one agreed with them on this. Yeah, I think they they kind of whimpered. They're, they're not talking about it now. Yeah, and and I found. I mean, I follow a few big name accounts that you know are, are like big authors or whoever for different blogs, and they were like, "Oh, Verge, no, dude, thank you for turning me on to this Twitter account." <laughs> and then I was surprised by the number of people I know who are tech, you know, people in the tech industry who were like, "Hey, thanks for complaining about this, Verge. I always <laughs> thought I was pretty connected, but I didn't know about this, so." Big that's, thumbs the, up. that's the internet <laughs> spitefulness, just like trying to it really is. twist the knife. Like, <laughs> oh, thanks, I didn't even know about this thing you are saying you hate. Yeah, but I mean, it's total Streisand effect. Like, all of these people had no idea. Well, I love that uh, <laughs> Saved You a Click summarized the Verge whiny article, and it just said, they're <laughs> mad at me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> He not that long ago because it, it is a guy, isn't it? That does save you. A yeah, it's just some dude. <laughs> yeah, not that long ago, he um, he actually tweeted something like, "Do you guys want me to stop?" Like, not in response to anyone. Just, or I mean, it was related to something, but not in response to an article. He just said to his followers, "Like, do you want me to stop?" Just like hundreds of responses, like, "No, no, 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 no. Please keep doing what you're doing. No, you're awesome." <laughs> We love you. No, don't stop. It's just like, all right, so if if I'm a bad person, we're all bad people together. Uh, <laughs> this next one's going to hurt. It, it is. There's did a you, new sitcom you about... You watch it, did you? No, I did not. <laughs> okay. So in case you're unaware, dear listener, there's a sitcom 
about young people. Whoa. Whoa. Young people. And the only significant factor about them is that they decided not to use smartphones in their life. Uh, yeah, pretty much. And there's, there's, that's it. Yep. <laughs> You're looking for something else. And you know someone who actually watched this. I do. So what's the report from the field? So so my wife um decided she she's actually very um generous when it comes to pilots. So she will sit down and watch a pilot just as give it a chance. Like mm-hmm. she's she's fair. Well, shows are not their greatest at their first episode. Right. So she's like an equal opportunity pilot watcher. And there are a few actors and actresses in this that she's a big fan of. So she was like, okay, this seems terrible, but I will give it a shot. And she said it was completely terrible. <laughs> now, one thing – so I actually brought up the Wikipedia article here because I was curious about a few of the actors' names. It's John Cho. I'm never going to be able to commit yeah, that to memory. John Cho. It's the guy from Harold Camargo to White Castle and the Star Trek reboot. Isn't he in like Selfie or one of these other sitcoms too? Th- yeah, this. Oh. This is Selfie. Oh, okay. Yes, this terrible show is called Selfie. Okay, the show I was talking about was called All Together Now. Oh, dear God, there's multiple terrible shows like this? Yes. Oh, dear God. <laughs> so. <laughs> this is even worse. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay, so the, the terrible show I'm talking about is Selfie. I was confused because how many terrible shows like this could there be? I wondered. <laughs> So we'll have to find out how bad. Yeah. In what way. <laughs> yeah, that'll be next week. But, okay. but yeah, Selfie looked awful from the start. Okay, so Selfie is awful. <laughs> and here's the thing I think is particularly amazing. So Susan's telling me about how terrible the show is and how like hackneyed the premise is. And she just shrugged and she was like, it's My Fair Lady. It's a modern My Fair Lady. There's nothing original about this show. And now right here on the Wikipedia article, it says genre. Sitcom created by Emily Cap Capnick, whatever, based on My Fair Lady. Yeah. Like, it's right. So it's not even. I just say, like, there's a way to take an old story and modernize it and make it awesome. And then there's, let's make it modern. Yeah. Yeah. The, I think <laughs> let's take Shakespeare or let's take, you know, classic literature from the 18 and early 1900s and modernize it. Is, Lion King, Hamlet. <laughs> yeah. It, well, it's – that can't be your starting premise. Taking something old and adding in computers can't be your starting premise. Yeah. Right? Because you know what that is. That's the gritty reboot. It's like, let's take this children's thing and make it gritty. And it's like, no, that can't be your starting premise. Mario doesn't premise. need to have sex and like, shoot people <laughs> in the head. He does not. <laughs> like you need more than that. And it's a bummer because this – there's a there's probably a spark of opportunity here which is never ever going to catch fire it's just not halt and catch fire it is not going to halt and catch fire <laughs> which i've heard is actually pretty good i've seen i've watched the first episode it was intriguing it's it's fun. That's a show that listener you should go check out if you have access. Is it on AMC? I think it's AMC. Let's see. Walking Dead Network. Halt catch Oh, then yeah, that's AMC. The the at least for yeah. n- nerds like me, it's just fun to see how they worked really hard on creating the feel of 80s personal computing in that whole IBM era. Right. And well, it's just fun. I'd heard that 
at also Lee Pace. <laughs> at some point, someone dissected whether or not the font, like the blinking terminal font on the screen was the correct one. And it is. And it's like, it's a screen in the background on a monitor. They don't walk up to, I guess. So it's like a completely trivial detail. Yeah. They, they were like, they no, it has to be off. right. It has to. Be and obviously right. they're, they're at a fictional like computer company. And so they invent some things, but like everything possible is like, so eighties, such eighties, such eighties, <laughs> Very old. I'll have to wait till this hits Netflix. Hurry up! <laughs> Hurry up! <laughs> but yeah, so Selvi, I'm 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 flabbergasted right now that there was some other terrible smartphone-based show <laughs> that I did not know about. So I didn't remember that that was an element of Selfie that she's like obsessed with herself and horrible, and then she, she's a social media maven. Uh, yep, and she—I don't know if that's the term they use in the show, but that's that was what came to me when this was being described. But she, yeah, she's like obsessed. I just selfied a little bit I in mean, my it's, mouth. Do you know the plot of My Fair Lady? <laughs> yeah, roughly. Yeah, so I mean it's she's like obsessed with image and, and culture and all that. And then she decides she needs to modernize herself. And she goes to the guy, I think that's John Cho's character. And she's like, turns out I'm a shallow bitch. Can you help me? <laughs> and he's like, no. And then for some reason later, he's like, I changed my mind. <laughs> that then, sounds like a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. And then that's the premise of My Fair Lady is like, you're a shallow person. I'm going to make you into a better person. And that's and we can drag this on forever. Yeah, and I mean we'll be able to do this again in fifty years when we have some other kind of technology that everyone thinks makes you shallow. Like, yeah, I the, think that's the most irritating part of it that it's blaming the symptom and not the cause, which is being a shallow bitch. Right. Well, I mean that's why it's so trivial to modernize because the the core material is timeless. There's a reason My Fair Lady is considered like a classic because even though she's all about high society dinners and all kinds of like time period relevant stuff, that's not really what it's about. You can just substitute in high society dinners for being on yeah. Twitter nonstop. It's, yeah. So that also sounds more like a, a British story of class warfare. A little bit. Than like – yeah, American struggles have typically been different. I mean, yes, but we do <laughs> more have race. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit more. And Karen Gillian is very much Scottish, and she apparently speaks with an American accent, which to me makes at least a few minutes of the pilot worth watching. <laughs> Just you watch her struggle to hide it. I'm sure she does an admirable job, but the thing is, I know her only from Doctor Who. Where she makes no effort to hide her accent. Her being Scottish is, is a huge like part of her character. Reverse Kevin Costner Robin Hood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The that's something they need a like a two thousand level what film was it? course. We were talking about the about other the day. Reverse Kevin Costner. I don't know if you were in that conversation <laughs> where yeah, there was an actual dialect coach on the set of Robin Hood Prince of Thieves. I was not part of this. Okay. What did that person do? Nothing, apparently. <laughs> or Kevin Costner is just like, nope. <laughs> Well, maybe he's big enough that they were like, you know, oh, hey, maybe you could try a little harder. How's this, Maid Marion? Thanks. It's funny because I, I don't mind that movie, but he made zero effort. Well, some some characters don't, or some actors, I should say, like Sean Connery and Hunt for Red October. <laughs> like, it's an awfully Scottish accent you have, Russian, Russian. terrorists. <laughs> like, it's just... It's and I mean he it's not like he's doing a bad Russian accent. He's 
he just Sean Connery's it. He just <laughs> he goes full Sean Connery, which I think submarine. <laughs> I have so that movie does one of the most interesting. Yes, they're speaking Russian visual cues. So in the beginning, two people are talking and they're speaking Russian, and the camera does this like uncomfortably tight close up on their mouth. I mean, like where their mouth fills the entire screen and then it pans away and on the pan away, they're no longer speaking Russian. They're speaking English. So from that point on, it's like, does anyone's accent really matter? Because they're they're supposed to be speaking Russian. It's not English with terrible Russian accents. They're just speaking Russian. I do have to say, as far as Jack Ryan character movies go. Um, isn't Jack Ryan Hunt for Red October? I have no idea. Okay, before <laughs> Patriot Games and before... I'm pretty sure it's a Jack Ryan story. It's Clancy. Um, the, as the new one with Captain Kirk from the rebooted Star Trek as Jack Ryan. I can't remember the actor. They're redoing name. Hunt for Red October? No, but it's it was a new Jack Ryan okay. movie. It already came out earlier this year. Kenneth Branagh plays the Russian terrorist... And he does try, and uh, it's bad. Oh, yikes. I would have rather he Sean Connery did. <laughs> I, think that, I think that's actually, because it's like a suspension of disbelief kind of thing. It's like he's not speaking English with a maybe Scottish accent. Maybe he's just accent. a weird Russian. <laughs> yeah, he, maybe he has a Scottish-Russian accent. Yikes. But you're, you're right. I just Scrushin? <laughs> Scrushin. It is, it is Jack Ryan. Roddish. So it's a Tom Clancy, Jack Ryan... Sean Connery well, this joined. new one directed by <laughs> Kenneth Branagh was the first one that wasn't based on an actual Clancy story because Clancy died a few years ago. Or were they just going? So they re- rebooted it, and it's one of the. It's everything. It's selfie, but for Jack Ryan. <laughs> Great. Jack Ryan selfied. Yeah, I don't. Uh, this this kind of thing. I think. I may have mentioned this before, but I think it's such an interesting factoid. I just love to pull it out whenever I can. I understand coming up with original ideas that are also good ideas because that Venn diagram needs to have a lot of overlap (laughs) to be successful. Like, that's hard. That's really super hard. So what a lot of people do in television and movies particular is they take other original content, usually books, and then they slap familiar branding on it, and then they sell it. And that's what happened with, I think, the second Die Hard, which is like, <laughs> which is why it's not like any of the other Die Hards because it's not Die Hard. It's a cop story that someone wrote that they just took, and they were like, this is a decent story, and they just slapped yeah. an, a Die Hard icing. That's what Nintendo does. Here's a new game idea, Mario. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Super Mario Galaxy is like the previous Mario games in none ways. <laughs> like, you could have just made any little adorable solid color character run around like that, and it would have been exactly as fun, but it wouldn't have had the brand recognition. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's important. I get that. But then on the flip side, we get selfie and. Whatever remake you're talking about. So what about. are reboots that you are we would consider great? Think of any? There are some. There I are just, some. It's hard because the terrible ones are the ones that stand out. Yeah. I mean, I guess it, when it comes down to it, it's it's easier to think of it for things like Sherlock, where it's like, it's not really like you rebooted with the one Sherlock. It's like, oh, 
in the past hundred years of cinema, there have been countless Sherlock's, right. and here's that, a good one. That's a like reinterpretation. Yeah, because that like that's actually and actually I enjoy the Guy Ritchie movie Sherlock's with Robert Downey Jr. Yes. Even though they're different, I would say the the modern Sherlock television show is a good example of Sherlock, but with technology. Because yeah. the core premise there is It wasn't like Sherlock with hackers. Exactly. <laughs> with the, Z. the core premise there is <laughs> Oh god. Is how would Sherlock the detective function differently in an age of constant communication technology, DNA technology, um, crimes that involve the perpetrator using technology, you know, and locks a, that are technology. The like, first use that I'm aware of of the on-screen text messaging like style that I think works really well instead of showing us a shot of a phone every other second. <laughs> yeah, especially because, you know, so um, Kevin Spacey killing. House of Cards. Yeah, House of Cards. <laughs> killing. <laughs> killing it. Totally killing it. Yeah. But so – in House of Cards, they also use the on-screen text thing. And House of Cards and Sherlock are both really good about like believable facial expressions. Yeah. Where it's not every laugh isn't ha 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 like because no one laughs like that. Right? So they're like little smirks, like little twinkles in the eye, that kind of thing. So when you do the the on-screen text message, it lets you read the text but also see their face. Yeah. Because that's kind of the and more And they don't important. have to read it to themselves like a crazy person uh, or anything yeah. like that. Oh, I see I got a text message from John. See you in 10. I just huh. – yeah, I hate that yeah. in movies where like it's so clear they're trying to cement something in the audience's mind. So they like show something blinking and then the character's like – reading it to themselves and then follows it up with that means this. And you're just like, Oh, so you're just going out of your way to spell this out. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm not, I don't, I don't have like the, the movie kind of background like you do, but I find the more I'm learning about like the art of filmmaking, the harder it's making it to enjoy certain things (laughs) because things stand out to me now that before were just like a minor annoyance, like a buzzing that I didn't know where it was coming from. But now I know like it's that speaker, that one's buzzing. Can we freaking (laughs) fix this please? Well, it is kind of a, a, a movie writer rule. If you want the audience to remember something, you basically have to show it to them three times. Sure. But, I, but there's like, still ways to do it where it's not just like, hey, this, yeah. this, look at this. Well, We're doing this now. Where it's come up for me a lot is with the the audience foil, like the character that people explain yeah. things to because you're an idiot. Yeah, they represent you. Yes, and it, it's like that. So it's like someone says something that makes sense if you're smart and not an idiot, and right. then the other character goes, huh? what the hell does that mean? Yeah. It means some really simplistic, actually kind of wrong answer. Yes, and that can be handled well, like the audience foil, but it can also – you can screw that up really super easy. And it happens with anything like scientific or technological all the time where person A does something techie and then person B is like, what are you doing? you hackers and what's that? And then they give them this like terrible explanation. To it's me, like, it would have been better to just not know. Magic. It was magic. <laughs> it's used in procedural crime shows all the time because there's always some sidekick characters that are running errands all the time and they just show up when they need to move to a new location. <laughs> and so I'm always thinking, I'm thinking of Castle. There's the two like 
side detectives besides Nathan Fillion and what's her face. Right. I'm I'm aware of this. Show. Yeah. Well, they're always around, and they're you know they're comic relief, but then they're also. Oh, we got those test results back. What happened? Blah, blah, blah happened. You need to go uh, check this. Now they can go to that situation. Right. Yeah, and so they are the press A to continue but it, the story. Yeah, it's so transparently you are just a functional piece to move the character to the new location. You don't right. get to be a character. Yeah. <laughs> no one gets to care about you. You're just there. And I'll say, so I get to mention Doctor Who twice. That's cool. So Doctor Who actually does this really well. Because they're aware of how annoying it is, so they do it poorly on purpose. <laughs> so it's not – I mean because it's sci-fi. Like it's, there is nothing to explain. It's all made up. So there will be times where he'll do something. The doctor will do something or he'll something will happen and then the his companion who is obviously the audience yeah. – like the companion will ask a question and then he'll give an explanation that's like really confusing – and then he'll stop and be like, okay, well, it's not really like that at all, but you wouldn't understand. And it's like he's basically just saying to the audience, like, just shut get, up. Just get over it. Like, So that's what I appreciated in – did you ever see Looper? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, when yes, Bruce Willis is like, shut up. We are not drawing diagrams. <laughs> We're not doing the time travel movie thing. Shut up. Accept it. I'm you from the future. Yes. And, and it's delivered <laughs> in a way that I think only certain kinds of actors could deliver because – so. What's his name? Young Bruce Willis is is asking <laughs> Joseph Gordon Levitt. Yeah, thank you. He's asking, you know, old Bruce Willis, him from the future. All he's like, well, what if I do this? What if that happens? What about this? Isn't it weird that we're talking now? And he just goes, I didn't come here to talk about time travel, <laughs> and then it's never mentioned again. Like one sentence with an angry, furrowed Bruce Willis. It's just brow, like we like, get it, snarky teenager that just figured out that time travel movies are paradoxes. Yeah. Let it go. Yeah, it's just I love it because that's that's exactly what I was saying before. Like the premise of that movie is not time travel. There's a story about him and like doing the right thing and the moral choices we make. And time travel has nothing to do Set, with any yeah. of that. <laughs> nothing to do with any of it. It's just a mechanic used to make it interesting. Yeah. No, I'm there's a, a terror this movie I know I've mentioned before, but it's so funny how brazen they are about it. There's a terrible movie called it's called like Out of Time with Justin Timberlake. Oh dear lord. No. Before <laughs> anything happens, the very first line in the movie is a narration line. You you haven't seen anything. It's a black screen, <laughs> and the first spoken words are, "No one remembers how things ended up this way." And like this, I, this movie is now forgiven for all of the transgressions <laughs> it's about. Yeah, to make. movies allowed to to set the frame of reference, and as long as it it's consistent inside that, I can right. live with it. Yes, I can live with absurd premises. That's fine. Just. Yes. Don't violate your own rules you and, set up. And there are other terrible things about that movie. But yeah. <laughs> the premise is never violated from that point. Like if you accept that starting point, they never violate the premise from that time on. Yeah. Because And that's the deal you make with movies. I think it's only a fair watching of a movie to give it that like right. you give it that chance to say, here's what I'm doing. Okay, follow me. Yes. Well, this is exactly why I hated the new Star Trek movies so much. (laughs) I hate them so much because 
it's a sci-fi fantasy romp where they can do whatever the hell they want. But then once you set rules, you have to stick to them. This is why I hated the the Star Wars prequels so much. Like it's your universe. Set whatever rules you want and then stick to them. Or if you have to break them through Make your a new lazy, universe. crappy writing, at least give me a good reason. Like a really satisfying reason. I read a book recently called uh, Creativity Inc., which is all about like the founding of Pixar and then their like yeah. career up into it's it's a twenty fourteen book, so it comes up to very recently. And at one point he actually says it's not John Lasseter, it's Ed Hull, the other founder. Not Steve Jobs, not John Lasseter. Cavill. Ed Cavill, thank you. Um but he actually says at one point in the book, like some of our movies have like inconsistencies, like legitimate screw-ups, but no one cares because the movies are so good. <laughs> and the one that always stood out to me as a great example of that is in Up. If you haven't seen Up, go see Up. But it's really Pause good. right now. Seriously, it's so good. But the main character is a little old man who is inspired by this adventurer from when he was – a very small boy, like an eight-year-old. Well, at the end of the movie or during the whole movie, he's like in his 70s or 80s. So this person who was already an established adult would be like 140. And they actually said they had a whole story about how that character lived to be so old. <laughs> and then they were like, nobody's going to care. No one will care yeah. <laughs> that he's impossibly old. So let's just not mention it. <laughs> And it, it was probably the third or fourth time I saw that movie before I was like, wait, isn't he like 200? <laughs> How is he that old? But it's because you just don't care. Like it doesn't matter that he's that old. Yeah. So – and the writers were very aware. They were like, eh. I mean an easier way to put it is like when you watch Fighting Nemo and the fish are talking. Sure. Who cares? Yeah, nobody cares. It's like <laughs> Set up the pre- – this is the world. Fish talk. Yeah. All right. There you go. And they even make a point to say that they can talk but not read. Like it's a big deal that Dory can read English. Yeah. So that even helps create a bigger disconnect because it's like, oh, they're not literally speaking English. Yeah. It's just fish can communicate. And then maybe this is a little bit of a straw man because I don't think I've met someone that's upset that the fish talk in Finding Nemo. But that it's, is sort of what kind of dim sense of – realism like insistence on realism right would someone want to shackle art with like it just seems like you're dumb well, this is why like the, yeah there's realistic movies that are wonderful and it's awesome to see sure that's one one frame to yeah. paint on <laughs> this is why the uh that show adhd on fox they have the scientifically accurate whatever yeah this is why i just can't find those bits that funny like they're funny in really small doses. Like, yeah, I know Ninja Turtles isn't realistic. Thanks yeah. for the pep talk. Yes. Yeah, okay, ducks are terrible, so ducktails would be really terrible. All right. <laughs> and especially because a lot of them are just like animals are weird. And it's yeah. like that joke only goes so far. It's like, yes, animals are not human. Okay. Thunder, 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 <laughs> thunder scares cats. Right, so that's that whole joke, like – that's you don't, it. You don't need 90 seconds of cats. The name of this is anti what cats are. <laughs> yes. So that's uh, I don't know. I just I'm again, I'm not like a film critic. I'm not a super creative person, but I feel like 
trying to cram realism and and a hundred percent consistency. That's just one things. brush well, that someone can strive for. It's boring. <laughs> like I don't. If I wanted to just watch someone sit in an office, I would just walk through my place. So of work. what comes to mind to me is a movie I love is two thousand one. Yes, but there's like forty five minutes of realistic modern space station. That yeah. I totally understand why a lot of people just fall asleep. Yep. And I mean, there's, I find plenty to appreciate about it, but I cannot blame them one bit yeah. for falling asleep. You know, in between cool monkey intro, <laughs> they're not monkeys, are they? They're, they're apes. They're I guess. apes. And awesome howl segment that everyone thinks about. Right. Which is actually like less than half the movie. Oh, yeah. It's a small piece. But it's just the most impact because there's huge space station section. There's they go to the moon and find that monolith or whatever. And how do you feel about the like five or ten minutes of the guy jogging? Just while everybody look else at is our asleep. cool camera tricks. That <laughs> isn't that actually a rotating yeah. set? Yeah, which is seems like the, the just, only way to do that right and really technically difficult. So the other. The more modern, famous scene of rotating sets is Inception when they're in the hallway oh, running yes. around the different walls. Yes, and that was seriously impressive. Anyway, yeah. and d- the thing is, when I found out how they did that, it didn't take anything away from the scene. It made me go, "I want to do that." <laughs> is there like a theme park where I can go and do that? And like, you'll have the camera move with the the room so it looks like I'm running all over the different walls. Exactly, that would be an excellent use of hyperlapse. Just some crazy room spinning, and you have to put yakety sacks over it. And you just get to run in a circle around it like Sonic. Yeah. Oh, that would be fun. (laughs) See, I'm coming up with, like, I don't know where I'm going to get the money for this theme park, but (laughs) I want to build this theme park. So you have in here, I think this is a saved you a click style rundown note. Nintendo to refocus on hardcore gamers. Actually, it should be. Is Nintendo going to refocus on hardcore gamers? Uh, yes. <laughs> but so the, you're, I think, out of the two of us, you're the bigger Nintendo fan. You stuck with them longer than me is probably yeah. the right way to put it. But so what did they do to confirm that they're reasserting so the base? This headline, this saved, this clickbait headline was sourced from a Miyamoto interview with Edge Magazine. And he was saying that his team, so it's sort of like, is Miyamoto all of Nintendo? No, but here's what his team... Some people, I would have said yes. <laughs> I, I think a lot of people would say Most yes. important thing, but no, there's there's other directors that have done great things. Um, the, the Smash Brothers guy is not Miyamoto. Yeah, but he drew entirely from Miyamoto's His character. characters, but he didn't create the game. Um, That's true. So Miyamoto said his team doesn't want to focus on making content for people who, quote, passively enjoy games. So this is a change from Nintendo's Wii strategy. Yes. Which was it's the exact opposite. Which was holy shit, there's a whole bunch of people that aren't core gamers that we should sell to. And it worked amazingly well yep. for Wii bowling and zero other games. Yep. But oh, so here's some quotes. Wii bowling. So <laughs> what Miyamoto means by a passive gamer. Um, these are the sort of people who, for example, might not or might want to watch a movie. They might want to go to Disneyland. They, their attitude is, okay, I'm the customer. You're supposed to entertain me. It's kind of a passive attitude, and to me it's kind of a pathetic thing. They do not know how interesting it is if you move one step further and try to challenge yourself with more advanced games. So 
Basically, I want to target people that want to step and meet me in the middle for a game experience. Right. And not people that are waiting in the doctor's office and are just like, eh, drag colors back and forth. So I, I knew mobile gaming would come up at some point. Yeah. And I saw – so when I saw this article, I saw it on Reddit. And the comments on Reddit, if you get good at skimming, can be a super useful place to go. Um, it's not like YouTube comments, which are just always a mountain of garbage. There is no gold in them hills. It is just a <laughs> except hill the one crap. I called out the other day. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So <laughs> the exception that proves the rule. Uh, <laughs> so um, with the guy, the per, I don't know, woman, person, children could have been a dog. Children. <laughs> what this person said on Reddit. Um, yeah, it could have been like two children, like stacked, <laughs> wearing an overcoat, so they look like an adult. <laughs> Um, but what this person said was the difference between a hardcore gamer and a casual gamer is not the kind of game. It's the way they approach gaming. And that I kind of had like a like, oh, epiphany moment because I realized playing like Assassin's Creed or Grand Theft Auto or Madden or something like that doesn't make you a hardcore Call of Duty pro gamer or whatever. <laughs> like that doesn't make you a hardcore gamer because you can still play those things like once a month for an hour while not really paying attention, or you can play Candy Crush with like a fierce intensity, you know, yeah. or like play Tetris like at a competition level where you're like fighting for money by how well you play. So there's, it's, I mean, there's a little bit like some games are casual games, period. Like Solitaire, there's no, I don't think you can really make Solitaire <laughs> an intense experience. Um, maybe you could if you had like fire, but. But I think it is more about the way you approach gaming. And I like that Nintendo is saying we want to make games that are – there's like a reason to approach them and try and get yeah. something out of them because there's something there to get out. Like I love Wii Bowling for like an hour, but then you've really kind of seen it At all. At Christmas when the families are out. Yeah, and then you're sort of done. You've like – you've hit the bottom of the well. And Miyamoto isn't isn't actually down on mobile gaming. He he's actually thankful that smartphones are kind of taking that over and making <laughs> normal people aware of gaming, or aware it's that the, the things they do are gaming. The gateway know, drug. People who don't self-identify as gamers actually play a shit ton of games, yes, and for do. some reason think they're not gamers. Yeah, I've never. I'm I'm glad we're seeing the end of the <laughs> pejorative gamer. Like, oh, he's a gamer. Oh, she games. Oh, that they're weird. It's like, that's going away. So here's another quote. He says, Fortunately, because of the spread of smart devices, people take games for granted now. It's a good thing for us because we do not have to worry about making games something that are relevant to general people's daily lives. That I think that's really the, the money quote. Because that's saying, like, yeah, the Wii was awesome. We got your grandfather and grandmother playing Wii Bowling, but... Now we want to make games that are more interesting and deeper. And thank God, because I love Mario, but it's like they can't ride just that train forever. <laughs> and the what they did with the most recent Zelda game, um, Link Between Worlds, was like like that was a game. Like there was stuff yes. to do. There, like there was a world to explore. There was, it wasn't just constantly <laughs> like catering to the total passive yeah. idiot. Yeah, it, it, it uh, man, it's, it was so good. Like I loved it so much. So I want, and I mean, it, that's a particular genre of game. But 
like Super Mario Galaxy, I think the first one was like really had kind of like a world and you were doing stuff like in it, sort of like Mario 64, whereas Super Mario Galaxy 2 just went back to the like the grid thing. Like you just literally follow a I actually course. like that. Really? Because Super Mario Galaxy, I, I, I don't like Mario Hub Worlds. I don't like it when I have to uh, run around and find the right person to talk to to get to the next set of challenges. And Mario Galaxy 2 was just like, here's just a shit ton of good levels. Play them. Hmm. So Okay. <laughs> so I will agree with you if the hub world is annoying, it's bad. I just don't want an annoying hub world. Yeah. Like, I'm thinking of like the original Infamous. I mean, it's, it's not Sonic Adventure bad, but <laughs> is anything? I think that might be the worst hub world in a otherwise decent game ever made. Yeah, you might be right. But like the original Infamous, like you had to go around like the the entire world was basically a hub world. Yeah, and then you had to go like talk to a person. But if you weren't in a quest, you were. In the hub, like nothing was happening until you initiated a quest. Then the world kind of started its machinations yeah. again. So I guess with Mario, it's a little bit harder because you always have to either leave the level select screen or the hub world to go to the level. Yeah, you know. I just found there's too many conversations in too many. Here's fifty stars being shot out of you, and to fill this bucket to open the next thing, I'm just like, just get on with it. Yeah, maybe I've got some nostalgia goggles going on. <laughs> well, so, I feel like if you replayed it, you'd be like, oh my god, I don't care. <laughs> Give me a level. So, could you do a truly open world Mario, like where way over there, or like it's just the, the levels the ready to go? Levels. Yeah, just you're just in it all the time. I bet if they just had some clever background loading, they could make that happen. I don't mean technologically, but I mean, would it would it shatter the the universe? Because think about how like you have underwater levels, and then you have like lava levels, and you have like space levels. Like, <laughs> would it be weird to have him physically travel from destination to destination? If they made it worthwhile, I guess it could be like Wind Waker. Oh, with your crazy boat time. <laughs> Which they fixed in the Wii U version because you have a double speed sail now. It there just it is. gets you. <laughs> apparently you have to wait till they, they remake Zelda games now. <laughs> That's yeah. I'm okay with that. Because then they come out and they're way better and they're twenty. Like, oh, that thing we thought was really cool was actually really annoying. We just smoothed it over. Yeah. No, I'm all about iterating. That's fine. <laughs> no shame. You don't have to set your game in stone forever. Well, actually, that's so. We're, that's a good Miyamoto quote. <laughs> that, uh, an, a rushed game is bad forever, but a late game or is only bad for. Or I don't know. I, I just ruined it. <laughs> I, I get what you're getting at. I don't know the specific quote. I will find it. So while you're looking for that, a delayed oh. game is eventually good, but a bad game is bad forever. <laughs> what did you Google to get that so quick? A late game Miyamoto. <laughs> Man, Google's amazing. <laughs> late isn't even in the quote. Yeah. But, Figured it out. But that's how good it is. So I well, I think we should mention one last game that you actually just brought to my awareness last night. So Final Fantasy type, is it O or Zero? I don't know. It, it was a Vita game in Japan. That yeah. So, but... I so this never came to America and I haven't played the Japanese version but as soon as I read about this remake this Polygon article you shared with me I was like hey this actually sounds like a Final Fantasy game that's exciting <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because the more recent Final Fantasy games like the 13 trilogy 
they didn't didn't feel like Final Fantasy games. And I know my take on what that means is colored by the fact that I actually grew up in the 90s playing the old cartridge games and then eventually the disc ones. But, like, it's not that it's a futuristic setting because, like, 7 and 8 were futuristic settings. And it's not that it's, like, basically a giant hallway you walk down because 10, <laughs> 10 was kind of a giant hallway that you walk down. But, it like, they just didn't feel like Final Fantasy games. First off, they didn't feel like games. Yeah. It felt like long, complicated movies where you had to keep pressing a button on the remote for the movie to keep playing. <laughs> but this Netflix one... Netflix saying, are you still alive? <laughs> yeah, except every five minutes during the episode you're watching. Yeah. yeah. Hey, did you die during your marathon of Futurama? <laughs> if so, don't press any buttons. But yeah, it's this game, like, first off, it has some Japanese tropes that are difficult for Americans to ingest sometimes, but are kind of core to Final Fantasy. Like, the main group of protagonists are students. And yeah. that's that's sort of like, that's core to a lot of anime and, and video games out of Japan. And I don't know what that trope is from. But it might also just be like, they figure their audience is teenagers who are students in school. So yeah, there's just inherently it, things they'll relate to. It could be as simple as that. But I like that there's an emphasis on, like, a, the collective. Like, it's a group of interesting yeah. people, not an interesting person surrounded by boring people. Because, I mean, that was, <laughs> that's Final Fantasy thirteen. You had Or a totally boring person surrounded by interesting people. <laughs> All right, well, <laughs> so their execution was terrible. But their goal was to have, like, it's all about lightning, right? And then there's all these other people who are, like, just, just in her life. Yeah. No, it's terrible. It was awful. <laughs> like, I still haven't finished 13-2, and I don't even I own I didn't even finish the first 13. Oh, I, I did finish the first The one. first 13. That's yeah. something we have to say. <laughs> that's, that's a sentence that had to be spoken. <laughs> but, yeah, I just – I have, like, no driving interest to finish that story because I don't care about the world <laughs> or any of the characters. Whereas this other game, I barely know anything about it, but because I know the intentions that are going into its design, I'm like, ooh. Yeah. I also like they, I mean, again, we just had a rant about how realism is and everything, but it can be awesome when it fits that they wanted to try less, they wanted to connect the player to battle more directly. And, right. And so they're, they're, they're playing with more, I don't know, this phrase sounds strange, realistic magic. But it's like if you get burned by fire. realistic effects. Yeah. Like the so, ramifications of yeah. magic. So your stuff gets burned. How to get burned. <laughs> Seven ways to get burned by magic and what to do about it. So, yeah. But I think that's, so there's a, you've never played D&D, right? No. Okay, so the core rules of D&D are every RPG you've ever played. Basically. So there, there's one particular thing about all video gaming that only like serious gritty games ever take into account, which is when you get hurt, it doesn't really impact your performance. Like when Mario has like five slices of pie life, he jumps just as high as he does when he has one slice of pie life. Right. But in like some gritty dark games, like as you get hurt, you like slow down and like you yeah. can't carry as much stuff. And Bushido it, Blade, like you can't use your right yes, arm anymore. Exactly. <laughs> that was like an early game that really took that kind of to extremes. And it was awesome. <laughs> like it made for a very interesting fighting game. Well, 
they don't do that a lot in gaming because it's hard. Like it means if you're getting, it's a negative feedback. Even in car games, they hardly destroy the cars. Oh yeah. But it, it creates this situation where, like, oh, you made a mistake, you're now more likely to make another mistake. <laughs> oh, you made another mistake, now you're way more likely yeah. to make another mistake. <laughs> so it's like it does make it a little less fun and just way harder. But I think you can kind of take that idea with, like, something like magic and say, like, oh, you you know, you got hit with, like, ice magic. Well, now, like, your weapon is more likely to break. You have others, so it's okay if one of your weapons breaks. But since the metal's been frozen, like, it's more likely yeah. to shatter or something. You know, just... Or just that your stuff wears down. Right. I mean, the the Bethesda games have done that sort of, like... Yeah. As you use yeah, stuff, you have to repair, have to repair it. And it's not... It really doesn't... like everything's in abundance so you're never struggling to repair things you're like oh i only have 17 pistols with which to repair the one i'm using (laughs) but you don't have unlimited like the was it the fat man the little nuke launcher yeah so like some things like some of the really powerful things they're not just lying everywhere like you can't just repair your power armor endlessly then your second playthrough you just turn on god mode and have yeah infinite because it's super fun (laughs) but yeah but i mean that that kind of like your actions have ramifications because it just makes the world feel more not realistic but like more real in the sense that like the things I'm doing matters and the things other people do, like even NPCs and stuff matter, they affect me. Yeah. So I'm not looking for realism in the like nine to five job kind of way. Shenmue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not that. God, never that. <laughs> I've never I I, ne- I didn't have it was a Saturn game. I never played the original one and then I think they re released it later. But Dreamcast. Dreamcast. But the way people talk about it, so positively. I don't get it. And it makes it sound like the worst Shenmue game ever. is terrible. Ugh. I love, I, I eagerly bought it and actually enthusiastically went through the whole game. And I can say it's not a good game. It does not hold up. It's, just, it's terrible. It's got to just be nostalgic goggles. The, the control scheme is convoluted. The <laughs> story is not, I mean, I guess the best thing about it is the story is okay. It's like interesting. Well, but it sounds like it should have just been a movie. I mean, it's a revenge movie. It's yeah. he killed your dad and you're hunting him down. Spoilers. Like plenty of motivation. That's the first scene in the movie <laughs> is your dad getting killed. And you, but then you're like, oh, sweet. So this like drug lord crime boss killed my dad. I'm, I'm, I'm just like a teenager that knows some kung fu. I'm going to go fucking kill him. Yeah. But and then it's like, a job no, a I'm going to go talk to every house in the neighborhood if they saw a black car driving the other day. Ugh. And then once I find out the black car is related to this dojo, I'm going to ask everyone where the dojo is. And then I can't get into the dojo. I gotta. It's just like, ah, none of this is fun. <laughs> none of this is okay. fun. So I'm super glad I missed Shamu. <laughs> Shamu, the game. When you did get to fight, it was basically Virtua Fighter, and it was fun. But so just like, so just play Virtua like Fighter. Two percent of the game was yeah. Virtua Fighter. So just play Virtua Fighter and call it a day. So Mike, and then talk to some old ladies yeah. <laughs> <laughs> about where things are. So where can people find the show notes for this episode? You can find them at flippingtablespodcast.com slash zero three zero. This is our thirtieth week of podcasting. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Never going to go away, but it's okay. And where can people find you on the internet? Just find me at pseudomichael.com. There you go. 
Just and that's it. Deal with it. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> Boom. People can find me at Lines in Beta on Twitter, linesinbeta.com, or plus David Lines on the Google's pluses. And if you haven't already, you should follow flipping underscore tables on Twitter or I think it's plus flipping tables on Google Plus. Flipping Tables Podcast, I think. I don't know. Just Google Find us. Google Flipping Tables. Yep. And it's on flippingtables.com. Podcast.com. <laughs> Jesus. It's, <laughs> this is why we need a social media maven, a guru, if you will, to sort all this crap out because I just can't keep it straight. Yeah. There's too much internet in my brain. All right. Thanks for listening. Have Later.